I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we dare Shkai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we attempt to discern the meaning of life. I'm Aaron Bishop, I'm here with my beautiful wife Rebecca. Hey guys, welcome to the show. And uh, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this week. So those who listen regularly, who listen to the show as we release it, probably recognize that we didn't have a show last week. We were a little busy. We were a little busy. Yeah, last week was Passover for us, and we run a small congregation in the upstate of South Carolina. And while we don't necessarily have the largest of congregations, we do try to make the festivals events. We we put on huge events. We try. Where They're fun. But we try to honor God through them. We try to make them memorable so that people go back home and they have something to, to really hang the, on to yeah, a the, theme to incorporate into their worship, into their life. Right. It's kind of settles into their soul. It's not just, Hey, we ate a Passover Seder and tomorrow's going to be just a normal day. Yeah. I didn't really gain anything from it other than we spent some time in worship and prayer, but that it's something that can be a soothing rest for the soul to, to just bring a relaxing and bring a break from the world. And, uh, if you've listened for any amount of time, this is what we do. When it comes to Sukkot, when it comes to Passover around these times of year. We I, can't fit in the podcast. It just does not fit into the schedule at all. <laughs> it does not. There's a lot of planning that we have to accomplish. And so we thank you for your patience uh, these weeks that we take off. They're time that we are using to honor God in other ways, in other venues, mm-hmm. other than this podcast, which is just one of many things that we're engaged in. Uh, also, the Patterns of Life Bible, if you haven't noticed, uh, go check it out. We released the epistles last week. Yeah, lots more things to look at. It'll be really beneficial. Almost the entire New Testament is up there. The only book that's missing is Revelation. So, yeah, there's a lot there. All we have left is Revelation and the writings. So, basically, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ruth, Lamentations, we're actually working on Ecclesiastes right now in the background, and it will be one of the first that will be released for those who are patrons, who have the opportunity to, uh, um, those who are regular donors, get to see the books as we finish them before they're released for the public. And so Ecclesiastes is going to be one of those first books for those who are patrons. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It kind of starts in the beginning of chapter 3 talking about the seasons and the the cycles of life, just like in chapter one, when he opens chapter one. Right. We're going to notice in this chapter, he, he's building his theology or his, his philosophy, rather. He's building his philosophy. He's creating stepping stones that he then builds upon and then examines even further and goes deeper. 
And chapter one was one of those main stepping stones. Mm-hmm. And Where he sees the cycles of life and they're all futile. <laughs> right. And he's going to even dig into those cycles very much here at the beginning of chapter three. Uh, chapter two was about the pursuits that he had engaged in, whether it was things, whether it was foolishness, the various ways that he was attempting to go about it in the beginning of his uh, examinations of the physical. And uh, throughout this entire thing, we need to recognize that what Solomon is doing, and I've said it before, is he's examining the physical world around him. Right. He's not He's not attempting to discern the spiritual. He is engaging in a materialistic worldview and throughout it, from the very beginning, he's he's making the point. The materialistic worldview leaves one empty. Yeah. Because all of the physical and material things are emptiness. They're, they're void. They're vapors. They all pass away, including the days of a man's life. And I think the entire book of Ecclesiastes is geared towards pointing out the futility of the materialistic worldview. And really pointing out the opposite of that. What is it what we should be pursuing? Right, right. What is what is the actual truth of this uh, this universe, of this existence? So let's go ahead and read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and then let's dig into it and uh, see what we can pull out from it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season, and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to discard, a time to tear apart and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain, then, does the laborer get with his toil? I have seen the task that God has given to the children of men to keep them occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Moreover, he has set eternity in their heart, yet without the possibility that humankind can ever discover the work that God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy themselves in their lifetime. Also, when anyone eats and drinks and finds satisfaction in all his labor, it is a gift of God. I know that everything that God does will endure forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God has made it so that they will revere him. Whatever exists has already been, and whatever will be has already been. But God recalls what is past. I have also seen under the sun, in the place of justice there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there was wickedness. I said in my heart the righteous and the wicked, God will judge. For there is a time for every activity and for every deed. I also said in my heart, As for the sons of man, God tests them, so that they may see that they are but animals. For the destiny of humankind and the destiny of animals are one and the same. 
As one dies, so dies the other. Both have the same breath. A human has no advantage over an animal. Both are fleeting. Both go to one place. Both were taken from the dust, and both return to the dust. Who knows that the spirit of the sons of man ascends upward, and the animal's spirit descends into the earth? So I perceived that nothing is better than for man to enjoy his works, because that is his portion. For who can bring him back to see what will be in the future? There is a time for doing podcasts, and there is a time for withholding podcasts. You just heard it, people. It's right there in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> podcast was not actually in the Hebrew. It's totally there. This okay. is, there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. It, oh, is, it is right there. There it is. You're right. <laughs> so, so this uh, opening part, it's actually very, uh, very iconic. You know, the the time to sow and a time to reap and a time mm-hmm. to, you know, it's just it's so iconic. In fact, it's so iconic that it's actually. The very similar to the opening of the Tale of Two Cities. Yes, it is. Or isn't it the Carpenters that sing that song? Oh, for everything, turn, turn, turn. I don't, yeah, I yeah. Don't, uh, I don't know the song very well. All I remember is turn, 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 and <laughs> right? I have no idea who sang that. I probably think I do, it was the Carpenters. I do have the internet at my fingertips. The interwebs. The interwebs. But the uh, first of all, let's, let's look at the Tale of Two Cities opening lines. It is the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was an age of wisdom. It was an age of foolishness. It was an epoch of belief. It was an epoch of incredulity. It was a season of light and a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us and we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. And the opening lines of Tale of Two Cities. Uh, it seems almost as though Dickens, when he wrote that, he he was familiar yeah. with Ecclesiastes in some way. I would, I, I had to think either that or he kind of understood this whole idea of seasons and uh, things happening in proper time and in proper order himself. But uh, when I read through that, like every time I read through that, <laughs> that's kind of where my mind goes is the tale of two cities. Then there's the the song, which I'm not going to spend the time to look up. Um, (laughs) If you have your free time, you can can do that yourself, dear listener. This idea of there being times and season, I mean, that takes us all the way back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, page 1 of the Bible in creation, day 4 of creation. Let me get there real quick. God said, let lights come to be in the expanse of the heavens and separated the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. This idea that he... He actually created lights in the heavens to help us to discern things like seasons when it comes to the way that the earth works, the way that the physical. And that is exactly how I grew up. Believing that particular scripture was literally just so that we will know when it is spring and when it is fall. And that was the season that he was talking about. Right. And it had nothing to do with the holy days and with the you know the feasts that God has Wait, given to us. What do you mean it has to do with the holy days? Because that word is moed. <gasps> what? Moedim. Moedim is the word that's there. The word that's translated as season in Genesis 1.14 is the word moedim. It is the word for appointed times. Uh, and it's the word that's used to describe the feasts that we read of in Leviticus 23. 
Leviticus 23, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The Moedim of Adonai, which you are to proclaim as holy gatherings, my Moedim are these. So my, my seasons appointed times are these. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, this this opening to Ecclesiastes chapter three, he's he's really picking up on this idea that things occur in order. God has ordered all things to be. And but he says that there's a time for all things to be. Which yeah. makes me wonder there's a time for justice. There's a time for wickedness, not necessarily in the life of a person, but but like in ages or in cycles of of nations or, or cultures. Um, Is that one of the ones? It's not. But later in the chapter, he'll kind of talk about that. He'll touch on that. I looked for justice and I found wickedness. I found wickedness. That's true. He um, does say that. And, and with w- the way the chapter opens, it, it makes me think that uh, there's this. Well, there is a time for war and a time for peace. Right. So. Right. But it makes me think that he recognizes that there's a time for corruption to occur. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, yeah. There's a time to tear apart and a time to mend. Right. And that's how the righteous should approach corruption is to tear it apart and to to tear down what's corrupt and to mend and build back new. Mm -hmm. But I I think he's even, and we could even take that one step further and, and see that there's Maybe in the cycle of nations, in the cycle of of ages, in the cycle of of cultures, that they will reach a time of corruption. Well, of I overt. Think, I think we see that because um, God tells Abraham that the fullness of the corruption of the Canaanites had not come. Right, Genesis chapter fifteen when. God walks between the pieces of the covenant and then he promises Abraham that in 400 years, your kids are going to come and they're going to inherit this land, but not right now. You're not going to get it right now because, well, the fullness of the iniquity of the peoples of this land is, is not yet reached its fullness. It so has he has to, to fr- give time. Has not come to fruition. He has to give time right. for them to play out what they're going to do before he can bring true justice upon them. Right. He has to wait for that season of pruning, yeah. as it were. But this idea of there there being a time. And, and there's oh, also the, in the parable of the tares, when oh, the tares are sown. There. Oh, I beat you to it. Uh, you beat it. me to beat it. To oh, it. man. When, when you're, they, uh, you know. It's either Matthew, thir- I think it's Matthew chapter 13. She's speaking of the parable. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 has uh, seven parables in it. It's, it's actually famous for its seven parables. And the first parable is the parable of the sower. We're all very familiar with the parable of the sower. The second parable, though, is the parable of the tares. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Another parable he put before them, saying, The kingdom of the heavens has become like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the blades sprouted and bored fruit, and the tares also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? From where then does it have the tares? And he said to them, A man, an enemy did this. And the servant said to him, Do you wish then that we go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. But let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I shall say to the reapers, First gather in the darnel and bind them in bundles and burn them. 
but gather the wheat into my granary. So yes, that parable is very much speaks to this idea of times and seasons uh, in the course of almost human history. The, uh, I mean, we hear in Revelation of the angel being told, put your sickle in and reap, and the, the harvest is ripe or the harvest mm-hmm. is great. That being the idea that, okay, this is the time where the tares and the, the uh, wheat are going to be separated from each other. This is, this is right. the appointed time for the last great judgment. But before then, I was going to go to a psalm that we read every Sabbath. So every Sabbath, as we welcome the Sabbath, we read through a series of psalms, and we do blessings over each of the people in our family. And one of the psalms that's read over the husband is Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who shall not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the Torah of Adonai, and he meditates on his Torah day and night. For he shall be as a tree planted by the rivers of water that yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. Uh, that idea of the, the man who is righteous will plant himself by streams of water. And that streams of water being Adonai, being the Torah, being the instruction from God that enriches and that helps to grow and bring to fruition, helps to produce good fruit in a, in a person's life. Um, we could even consider Galatians in relationship to it, with the, the fruit of the spirit that's related there. Okay. Yeah. Um, the fruit of the spirit is something that new Christians don't always produce when they get saved. Yeah, it's the, it's something that sure. comes in, that has to grow. It's something that has to be nurtured. It's something that comes in a season. Every time I hear that psalm and it's read over me weekly by, by Rebecca, it just reminds me that sometimes it feels like all of these areas of ministry that we're involved in isn't really producing a whole lot of, a whole lot of benefit. There's not a whole lot of fruit. There's not a whole lot of result. But we just keep plugging away, tending the field, as it were, pulling weeds and planting and watering and so on and so forth. And fruit will come in its season. Just is a comfort to me to remind myself that as long as we keep following God, as long as we keep operating in the spirit, as long as we keep soaking up his word and attempting to do it, then there will be a time of fruit. And that can even take us back to the parable of the sower, the the one who hears the word and it produces good fruit will reap 30, 60, and 100 times when the days of, of reaping come. So this entire thing is very cool. Another uh, parable that came to my mind wasn't in Matthew chapter 13, but it was in Luke chapter 13. The fig tree? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. The, the parable of the fig tree. Uh, let me find it here real quick. So Luke chapter 13 Starting in verse 6, And he spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and found none. And he said to the gardener, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why does it even make the ground useless? And he answering said to him, Master, leave it this year too, until I dig around it and throw manure. And if indeed it bears fruit, good. But if not, you shall cut it down. Again, another parable, but this time it's a parable of something that should be bearing fruit. This is this is the good wheat that doesn't sprout. This is the tree that doesn't bear fruit. This is the, the tree that's planted by streams of water that doesn't, doesn't bring actually bring forth fruit, that doesn't soak up the water of the river, or maybe it plants itself away from the river. 
Uh, this is the man who's not soaking up the Torah, that's not soaking up God's word, that's not soaking up the spirit, the life-giving water of the spirit, that's not engaging with God in the ways that he's given us to engage. Or not recognizing the seasons. Even. Right, right. Or not, yeah, not even recognizing this is a time for you to bear fruit. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so caught up in my life. I'm so caught up in uh, the way things are going that I just, ain't nobody got time for that, as the saying goes. <laughs> But yeah, so it's a good warning that bearing fruit, it's not just something that happens to you. It's something that's fostered within you. And it's a participation that, that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. Yes, God will work in you to help you bear fruit. But at the same time, you have a choice. You got to work for it. You got to plant yourself in the right place. You got to soak up the right nutrients. You got to be by that stream of water. You've got to. And then you've got to be patient and wait for the fruit to come forth. And that patience, we find in Galatians, is actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. Yes. Uh, and a very good one, but not always fun. Not always pleasant. To, to get. Yeah, to I, can't, earn. I can't tell you how many times people have, have said something. Oh, don't pray for patience because God will test you on that. As soon as you start praying for it, he's going to test you on it. And uh, things are just going to fall apart and go wrong. And I got to answer, no, that's the wrong way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Pray for patience, but recognize you're going to be tested in your patience. And so you better have patience. You're going to be given the opportunity to practice patience, waiting on God, waiting on seasons, waiting on things to come to fruition, planting seeds, and then just sitting around waiting for them to sprout and waiting for them to grow and waiting for them to bud and waiting, oh, waiting, 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 waiting. And, uh, yeah. And, and I think the, one of the things we have to recognize when we engage patience is that it doesn't mean you're just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. There's always something else that can be done while you're waiting for fruit to bear in another area. Yeah. This is actually a question that I get all the time. Well, what do I do? What do I do now? I, I don't know what to do. And I always answer with just do the next thing. Do the one right. thing that you know to do. And if that's just get out of bed and wash your face, then do that. And then do the next thing. Oh, well, now I need to, you eat know, some breakfast or... eat breakfast. What if, you know, obviously I'm, I'm making it very small, but you get my point. Like if, if yeah. you know that you just need to keep doing your job, even though you know that your time at that job is ending, you still do your job to the best of your ability until God opens the door for you to go to the next job. Some friends of ours are moving and they, up until today, didn't quite know where they were going to be moving to. They had some, some plans, um, kind of fall in their lap today, but they've been in this limbo. They knew they were going to a place, but they had a, a time in between that they didn't have anywhere to go. And they were like, what do we got to do? We've got to find a place. We've got to find a place. I said, mm -hmm. you know what? No, just pack your box. Just pack one box at a time because you know you have to do that. Right. Regardless of what else is coming, you know you have to do that. Yeah. Just take those steps 
in time and God will bring the solution in time. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot like Matthew chapter 6 where every day has enough evil in and of itself. Don't worry about what tomorrow is going to bring. Right. Don't worry about where you're going to lay your head once you move out. That day will take care of itself. God will take care of that. You got to worry about the evil that presents itself today and plan for the things that you know are coming and not put them off. Because we all know various things are happening. We've got schedules. We've got tasks. We've got. So don't put off the doing the things to do that. This whole section is very iconic, very memorable, very repeatable. And it's something that we can all relate to in one way or another. And and it relates to chapter one in a very real way. The cycles of the the seasons, the water cycles, all these cycles that he talked about. Well, in each of those, there's a time for things to look amazing. And there are times where it's not so cool. But it all fits together. I kind of wanted to point out just, just one. A time to love and a time to hate. Now, in our... What verse is that? In, my, in mine, it's eight. I'm assuming that it's yeah. the same numbering. Okay, that's it. Um, in our world, we think of the word hate as... An emotion? A, an emotional choice. A, a detesting, a violent act. Mm. You know, it's not just a, mm, I don't really like that. No, it's a, I hate mushrooms. You know, that kind of, mushrooms. what I don't actually hate mushrooms, but it's that kind of ugh, right, revulsion. Right. right. We have a very emotional viewpoint on that word. Right. But we have a very different that's idea. That's not of, what this word is. Right. So, yeah. And in, in the Bible, in Hebrew, the, the words love and hate. They speak more to accept and reject. It's not that I I feel an overwhelming emotion towards the one that I love, but it's that I choose the one that I love over other things. It's always a choice. It's always the choice to of one thing over another, which is why God can say, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. It's not that he had this anger and this overwhelming hatred for Esau, but it's that he chose Jacob and didn't choose Esau. And it's as simple as that. It's, I picked one and not the other. And so the one I picked, I loved. And the one I didn't, I hated. It's pulling out and making more obvious the concept that to choose one thing, you have to also choose to not choose the other. Right. Right. And Yeshua brings it up several times in the New Testament and some very hard sayings because we often impose that idea of emotion to it. Whoever doesn't hate his family or his, you know, his mother, his siblings, his his children, you know, even his own self is not worthy of being my disciple. He's not right. talking about I need to hate myself. I need to, you know, I need to be self flagellating, warped and twisted to to believe. to me, right? Yeah, but he's more. I you need to choose me and choose my kingdom over yourself. Mm-hmm. That's all that means. It doesn't mean. That you gotta feel this hatred, or, or the uh, the idea of two masters, he'll love one and hate the other. Right. All that means is when it comes down to it, and you're faced with the choice between these two masters, w- both of them are demanding on your time. You're gonna pick one, yeah, and not the other. That's all that means. It doesn't mean oh, I hate that. No, you probably still love your second job, but both jobs are 
requiring you to be somewhere different at the same time. You got to pick one. Mm -hmm. You're going to pick one over the other. And that the choice of the choosing of the one is showing love towards that one and the choose choosing against the other is translated as hate. That's the idea that's behind that. That is very important to recognize in the way those words are used in Hebrew and how they're so vastly different from the ways that we understand those words. Right. Verse nine, what does the worker gain from his toil? You know, he's going back to that same question. And I have seen the task that God has given to the sons of men to be humbled by it. Mine says to keep them occupied. To keep them occupied. Okay. Mm -hmm. To keep them occupied or to be humbled by it. Let's turn to the Hebrew. The word is la'anot, la'anot bo, to be afflicted, oppressed, humbled, or bowed down. This is the same word that is, is the uh, afflict yourself from uh, the Day of Atonement. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. This is the same word, ana. Uh, it, wow. it, is, it does mean to afflict or to be oppressed. In this particular instance, it apparently can mean to be occupied or busied. Yeah, humbled, humiliated, weakened, afflicted. Okay, so it, it's there's ana and then there's ana. Oh, okay, that's clear as mud. Right. <laughs> so they're both spelled exactly the same. Apparently they're both slightly different. One's H6030 and one's H6031 if you're How can they following be along. spelled exactly the same and be different? One ones? is the root and the other is a variation probably through vowel points. Ah, that's gotcha. That's what separates them from each other. Okay. And so we have ana, which is answer to respond, testify, speak, or shout. It's the idea of looking down or browbeating. So you're browbeating someone by shouting at them or okay. answering them. Apparently it's like a harsh answer. And so when you then morph it slightly through ideas and thoughts, it becomes oppressing someone okay. or, or browbeating them or uh, humbling them, humiliating them, or even keeping them occupied or busy. Hmm. Also connected ideas. So, yeah, it, apparently it can be translated in both ways. And so it just depended on the translators to pick what they thought was the best translation. Mm -hmm. uh, mine went to be humbled by it, and yours went with to be occupied by it. Verse 11, he's made it all, and it is beautiful in its time. There he goes. He's going back to given enough time, whatever you're working on, whatever you're doing, it'll be beautiful in its time. You'll You'll find a time in the midst of it if you're paying attention and if you're really doing it for, if it's something he's called you to you find beauty in your task that's set before you yeah and we we pointed out before but working and the labor was before the fall right. it was not something given to man after the fall it is not part of the curse and it is in fact our joy it is we enjoy it and you know it's the meaningless labor. It's the unfruitful labor that we find toilsome. Mm. But labor itself is a beautiful thing. Moreover, he has set eternity in their heart, yet without the possibility that humankind can ever discover the work that God has done from the beginning to the end. It just, it makes you seem so small. It really does. And big at the same time. Eternity yeah. is in our hearts. We, we 
yearn for it. We're we're yeah. bound we're bound by it, but we're almost as if we're destined for eternity, but we'll never experience it. We'll never we'll never grasp the fullness of it. Right. Yeah. Right. And here he is with the conclusion again. I know that there's no good for them but to rejoice and to do good in their lives. Just rejoice. Be happy in what you have and what you do. Find that pleasure in your life and enjoy it. Don't overdo it. Don't seek happiness for the sake of happiness. But in the things that you do and the labor that you find yourself engaged in, in that toil and that work, find the happiness in it. And satisfaction in all of his labor. Yeah. All right. Find that Big satisfaction. Gift. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy all the good of his labor. It's a gift from God. The the things that you gain from your labor, those are gifts. Enjoy them. Definitely. But as we saw in the previous chapter, they shouldn't be your pursuit. They shouldn't right. be the thing you're, you're seeking yeah. is, is the good things. They're a benefit, sure, from hard work and labor. Yeah, you can, you can have some good food. You can enjoy your time. You can, you can enjoy some of the finer things, but the, they shouldn't be the things that you set your heart and your mind after to, to strive, to after. strive for. Right? Yeah. To pursue. And then in verse 14, uh, I know that whatever God does is forever. There's no adding to it. There's no taking from it. Uh, that reminds me of uh, the command in the Torah that you should not add to or take away from it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering if Solomon was actually reflecting on that particular idea from the Torah. Yeah, right? definitely. God, God gave the Torah that's something that he did. And there, there is no adding to or taking away from God's God's perfect law. And there's no adding or taking away from the things that God does. We it, do almost, our... it almost seems like he's equating the two, which, mm. I mean, it is God, so. And so that makes me wonder, okay, what about human endeavor? If we can't add to or take away from what God does, what about human endeavor? This almost seems uh, Calvinistic in many ways. Mm. God is determinate and... You're going to do what you're going to do, little mechanism, you know, we're going to turn the key and you're going to live out your little robot life and do the things that God has predestined for you to do and planned for you to do. And you're not adding to or taking away from what he's already decreed or declared to do. Uh, that's one way that it could be taken. Uh, but I, I don't think that's what Solomon's getting at here. He's, I, I definitely idea of, don't think so. The, that type of idea, I don't think, ever really even entered the ancient's mind. I don't think the Bible actually speaks on Calvinism in any way, one way or the other. I think it's a uh, it's something that we have... Manufactured? Imported into the text in yeah. some ways. It could be talking about the futility of human action. We can build buildings and we can, you know, build roads and streets and electricity and robots and whatever and space shuttles. And, you know, we can build all these things, but the universe is going to end and not a single bit of it is going to last beyond that point. We're not adding to anything that God's done by doing these things. I think that we're we're conflating macro and micro. Mm, yeah. I think that this is saying on a macro scale, God has a plan. And on the micro scale, you might be a Jonah and go to Nineveh or not, not go to Nineveh and you might make wrong choices, but God's going to do what God's going to do. Or an Esther. You know what? 
if you decide not to do this, God's going to provide protection for your people, for his people from another source, but you and your family are going to die. I think on the macro level, God's plan is not going to be changed no matter what we decide to do. But on a micro level, on an individualist basis, yeah, we can make wrong choices. We can we can choose to do what God doesn't want us to do. And we will pay the consequences, but God's plan's going to happen. And then it goes to the next verse where he says, and God has made it so that they will revere so that they will revere him. And that goes to the verse that I I can think of of every knee will bow and mm-hmm. every tongue right. will confess. Right. And I don't think that that's you know, I I think I don't think that's pointing to the fact that everyone will be saved. I've heard it said that that's what that means. But I think that what that means is even if they do so begrudgingly, they're going to have to realize that whether I like it or not, he is God. Yeah, he he is the sovereign. Uh, It's like a, you know, a conquering king comes through and conquers the, his great enemy and, the that enemy now the enemy bows before bows him and recognizes, okay, you're, you are the rightful king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's like that. And then they become slaves or, you know, whatever the king decides to do to them. So, yeah, what is has been and what shall be has been before. Um, Going back to the cycles. Yeah. Again. And he actually mentioned that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, In chapter two. Chapter two, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get to what we just spoke about. I went to the place of justice and evil was there. And I went to the place of righteousness and evil was there. Or iniquity. Mine says wickedness. Wickedness. Yeah. And I said in my heart, okay. Well, God judges the righteous and the wicked. For there's a time for every matter and for every work. And that's where I think that even this this idea of corruption. We look at our own country and we see the corruption that's kind of overwhelming it and we see yeah. the the things that people are getting away with we see the encroachment of uh evil doctrines in our schools and stuff mm-hmm. like that but even that we can't really do anything about it and so solomon's taken the the point of view of deuteronomy 32 where vengeance is mine and i shall repay saith the lord right um uh, romans 12 i think also repeats and quotes that verse and he's saying you know what i I recognize that this place of justice where there's corruption this place of righteousness like the church where there's corruption and wickedness bounding Mm -hmm. i can't do anything about those those aren't my realm of influence my my sphere of authority isn't over these and so i have to put it in god's hands to judge you know Mm -hmm. it's it's his to repay it's his to, to be judge over these he sees all things and there is a time for every work. You know, there's a time apparently for this too, because it, it does exist. And, uh, and it's all part of the separating process. I think of the, the wheat and the tares. And it's just a part of our broken world. Right. It's a part of the corruption that we earn with our sin. Right. And that we actively participate in creating because let's face it there's not a single one of us that doesn't have our own wickedness that doesn't have our own blind spots that doesn't have our own areas where we need to grow and change and even in okay so if you look at it that way in the place of righteousness there's wickedness in the hearts of even the most righteous man Mm. 
there's wickedness there. Yeah. You know, and we are never going to be without it until God brings the the final judgment and and we can live without it it's it's just part of our selves we could perhaps uh compare it to the yin and the yang the 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 i i know i hate to do it but the That's the idea not... behind that symbol is um the the teardrop white and teardrop black with the circle of white and the black and the circle of black and the white is the idea is that even in the purest that there's a balance uh, in nature but even in the purest of white, there's a hint of darkness. And even in the purest of darkness, there's a hint of light. Um, is the idea behind that symbol. Uh, and the way that Solomon's describing it here, if we understand it the way that you just described it, that's kind of speaking of the same thing. That even in the righteous, most righteous of men, even in the most righteous of places, even in the, there's going to be corruption and there's going to be yeah. evil. But even in the darkest, darkest heart, there's going to be that spark of life, that spark of good, uh, that spark that Luke saw in his father and, and <laughs> tried right? to foster yeah. and bring out, you know. <laughs> well, um, and and that speaks to that there is redemption for all men if they right. choose it. Right. You know, right. And, and I do think that there is an element of that because that's where we say that God is the one that will judge. Right. You know. We, we as humans are so quick to judge and say, well, you know, I can't see any fruit. I can't see any, any way that that person is redeemed in any way, shape or form. And yet we don't, we don't know all that. We don't know what God is going to do. And we don't need to be the judge. Right. He's the judge. Right. Yeah, and then uh, here at the end of the chapter, verse 18 through 22, uh, Solomon gets into kind of the nature of man a bit. Who mm. are we? Again, turning back to the days of creation, day six, man and beast were created together. They were created separate, and man was separated from the beasts. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, Adam looked among the beasts, and they passed before him by twos. They had partners. They had their fulfillment, their opposite. Yeah. But man did not. There was no. There was no partner for man. It seems here is almost as if Solomon, in his only looking at the physical of this, he's deconstructing man to the point of a beast. It's almost as like the evolutionists do, where we're all just beasts. We're all just animals mm-hmm. acting out animal instincts at all times, and we're not. We're no better than you know Harambe, the the gorilla that was shot in the cage. Where um, octopuses have even been given. Uh, rights as sentient beings in in some countries at this wow. right now, yeah, um, and uh, and so Solomon seems to be going through this deconstruction of man, in that when he looks at men, he sees men die just like beasts. Men end up in the dust just like the beasts. Men decompose just like the beasts. Right. Uh, who really knows whether or not we actually go somewhere after we die? Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think he's actually making any kind of comment about the afterlife because he's he's doing a physical science here. He's he's doing a, a philosophy, a, a trying to understand the physical and the meaning behind the physical. Yeah, I do believe that this is probably where our concept of of men going to heaven and that heaven is up in the clouds and all of that comes from this whole men uh, 
man ascends upward and animal spirits descend into the earth. Well, I think Solomon isn't didn't originate here, but Solomon's commenting on ideas that people are espousing. You know, the all of the uh, ancient traditions that surrounded him had stories about what happened to people in the afterlife. Okay. There was always a place of the dead. And in the places of the dead, so whether it's Tartarus or Hades or, or whatever, there was a place that was up high that was for the people that did good in their lives and were okay. honored. And, and there was a place down low where there were people who were under punishment and is wallowing that, in mud or, you know. Is pushing. that going back to the mountaintop kind of concept? In a way, yeah. In a way, the the, the good ascend and the, the evil descend. Okay. idea um and it's very common in almost every oh, i hesitate to say almost every but in a whole lot of the uh, mythologies that would have surrounded the various pantheons that solomon was intimately familiar with because he built, he built temples to, them. to huh? them in jerusalem so he would have been he would have been familiar with the Baal cycle he would have been familiar with um the the inky and loki stories of uh of um, Sumeria. He would have been familiar with all of these other stories of the day that mm-hmm. explained the, the various gods and the various pantheons. And he would have been familiar with what they had to say about the afterlife. I don't know if Judaism at this time, uh, Adonai worship at this time, had concepts of ascending into heaven and going into hell. I, I kind of think that they do because Enoch was taken up into heaven type right. idea. True. Um, On a worldwide. And then and then late well, Enoch doesn't say that. But oh, later, that's true. That's true. Later with Elijah, he's taken up into into mm-hmm. heaven and as a sign of this is a righteous man. We definitely know Second Temple Judaism saw it that way. Uh especially in the books of Enoch. Um not scripture, by the way. Please don't take the books of Enoch as scripture, but the, the people of the Second Temple Judaism um, in First Enoch, it tells the story of Enoch going to heaven and going to hell and visiting, seeing all the wonderful things in the heavens, and then going and preaching and declaring judgment to the creatures that are chained up in uh, beneath the earth, mm-hmm. uh, whether those are fallen angels or or the spirits of the dead. Um, a work of fiction. It, it is a work of fiction, but it, it helps us to kind of gain ideas into the pop culture of, of the Second Temple Judaism. Mm-hmm. But anyway, all of that to say that so when what Solomon's doing here is he's deconstructing that almost as if an evolutionist would or, or a sci- a materialist would today, mm-hmm. saying, well, who knows if you actually do that? I can't see that with my own eyes. Right. I can't witness a person going up in the heavens when they die. I can't witness somebody going down into the earth when they die. All I know is they die. And men die just like animals die. And so the what is the benefit for man in this earth is... Enjoy your life. Find enjoyment in your life. Because uh, that is your portion. Right. That's that's what you're given to do. Right. Yeah. And, and we have this idea in America of the, the pursuit of happiness is a right. That we can pursue something that makes us happy. And I, But I think Solomon here is, is saying not necessarily pursue happiness, but find it where, where you, are. you are. Yeah. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, find that bit of happiness, that bit of enjoyment, whether it's some, uh, you know, some cake or, you know, some bit of food or a companion or just a job well done. Find something that satisfies you and makes you happy and brings you joy in the circumstances that you find yourself living in. And if we 
if we pursue whatever job we're given to do, um, to the fulfillment of God, as if unto God, as if unto God, then we can find fulfillment and joy in that regardless of, you know, I mean, those references were talking to slaves, right? They were talking to people who did not get to make their own choices of what they did and how they did it. But if they did their work to the honor and glory of God, then they could still find joy and pleasure in it. Right. It's very interesting, just the places that he goes. He, he revisits chapter one, then he recognizes the, the kind of this idea that nothing is purely good or purely evil um, in the world around us. And in these places of good, there's evil. But I would bet to say that he would say that even in the places of evil, that there's some good going on there. Even in the temples of Baal, where child sacrifice was going on, that some poor people were being cared for. Yay, there's a spark of light in the midst of that evil darkness. Mm -hmm. The righteous and the wicked, God will judge. Right. And so, but when we encounter these things, we need to just leave it in God's hands. And then he goes through this deconstruction of men and says, you know what? Who knows? I can't see it. I can't witness it. This, this, this is too great for me. It's, it's beyond my ability to even know. And so he doesn't feel comfortable even commenting on it in this work because that's not what this work is about. This work is right. not about trying to define spir spiritual truths. It's about trying to settle the physical truths of life. So it's a deep work to get into. So uh, any last comments? It is really, really deep. And I feel like I could probably sit here just in this one chapter for right. a couple of days and not even scratch the surface. Right. Yeah, the, there's so much to meditate on here. And um, as she said, we've only just begun to really rip apart and to kind of dig into what ideas Solomon's getting at. But uh, but that's okay, because there's okay. a time to tear apart. Right. And a time to mend. Right. And uh, <laughs> so we're right now is the time to tear apart, but uh, our time of tearing apart has come to an end. So we'd love to hear your ideas on it. If you go to our website and you actually look up this podcast, it should be right there on the front page the week that it releases. But then it goes into the archives and you should be able to find it. But there's a place where you can leave comments um, on any one of our podcasts. If you have any comments or thoughts, uh, go ahead and leave them. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to uh, follow this conversation even further because we can't get into the fullness of what Solomon is goes. getting here. Because, right? you know, the wisest of men is, is sitting here discussing the meaning of life. and It's deep. It's deep. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, until then, until until next time. Seek life. And all that you do. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Derish Kai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we Derish Kai, as we seek life. Shalom.